Welcome back to How to Sell an Agency, the podcast sharing the journey of founders who built, then sold their agency business. My name is Matt Bennett. Since selling my own agency three years ago, I've become rather fascinated with the stories of other agency founders who've built and sold. I thought that my sale was unusual, but the more I learn about the sales that others have had, the more I realize how unique every one of them is. Today's guest is Steve Parks, who I'm sure many listeners will already know through his coaching and virtual board member service, Convivio. Like many of us in the agency advisory space, Steve is an exited agency founder himself, and the story of how he sold and exited definitely fits that pattern of being unique, partly because he didn't actually want to sell. With that in mind, here is Steve Parks on how to reluctantly sell an agency. Hi, Steve, and thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me in, Matt. I think many listeners will already know you from your books and your work at Convivio as a virtual board member for agencies. But today, I want you to cast your mind back a little bit more. We're sort of talking about your previous agency life that maybe less people are aware of. So obviously, you know, you, you had good success in the past. You built you founded and you grew and then you eventually exited a, a very successful agency, a very large agency. I wonder if maybe you could start by setting the scene, just telling us a little bit about how that business came about and how it started. Sure, yeah. I mean, essentially, uh, to give both sides of that, you give the nice side, but I've also had an agency that failed in the past. And I think you know that whole breadth of experience is interesting and useful. And I wouldn't have had then had the more successful agencies if I hadn't had the failed one in that terrible financial crash of 2008-9. Yeah, we remember that one well. But if I remember later, I'll come on to which one has taught you the most lessons, whether it's the success or the failure. But let's hear a bit more about how you got there first. Yeah, all of it. So yeah, I started my first agency when I was 25. So it's a couple of years ago now. And, you know, I built up different agencies over the years. You know, the one that was doing well then failed in the financial crash because our main clients were HSBC, HBOS, and RBS (laughs) in 2008-9. Yeah, doing kind of nice to have non-essential communications consulting type things. And uh, yes, I remember that day in, I think it was September in 2008, being by a racetrack with all the execs of RBS. And we were on like an away day of you know, top execs and key suppliers at a kind of Brands Hatch style race day, driving Jaguars around the track. And, things. and suddenly all the top RBS people were not taking part in any of the races of these <laughs> glorious cars, but were huddled in one corner around their Blackberries. And everything kind of went from there, really. But then I wound that up quite nicely with got enough cash in the bank and enough success that I could Mm. decide, okay, this market is going to be screwed for a number of years. The opportunities lie elsewhere. And the way I want to approach it is by wrapping this up and starting a next thing. And what I saw the next thing was, was more the digital world and being a digital agency rather than a a general communications consultancy agency type thing that was doing a whole range of things. What we'd seen the growth in between 2004 and 2008 was all the digital stuff. And we'd gradually started recruiting people doing that kind of thing. And I was more interested to explore that. 
So set up an agency that was going to be more focused on that. And that's then really what grew uh, quite rapidly through mergers and acquisitions over a number of years until eventually it was sold. And by the time it was sold, it was 170 people, nine countries, and was, you know, was reasonably successful. That's very thing, rapid growth, though, isn't it? That's over, what did you yeah. say, it was about four years? No, so it was about, hang on, yeah, about four or, five, four or five years, maybe six, something like that. So, And why we'll come on perhaps more to the, the, the more in-depth about that was mm. that I regard that sale as a failure. <laughs> I was really surprised the first time you said that to me when we first spoke about you coming on this podcast and I was like, you know, you had great success with this sale. And it did knock the wind out because – on paper, and I, obviously I only know what's publicly out there, and it happened a little while ago. There's not that much out there. But it looks like this dream sale and exit that many agency owners do look forward to or do hope for in their future. So, yeah, we'll come on to your feelings around that in a while. But during that five years, you must have seen huge changes in the business. Was that always a plan from the start? Had there always been this this idea of this is going to scale quite quickly to a, a size with a sale in mind? Was that on the cards from the start? Not with a sale in mind. That came up much later. The initial thing was, yes, we wanted to grow very rapidly because one of the things we were observing was that large organizations were suddenly needing larger agencies mm. to deliver much larger projects, whereas web stuff before had been a little bit smaller, a little bit more manageable. But particularly media companies and so on were doing very large things. And the agency that we'd got was now competing with some of the global consultancies. And so they would be rolling up saying, oh, yes, we've got 10,000 people around the world all doing this, that, and the other. <laughs> but, you know, some of them were tax accountants and some of them could build the website. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for the ones that build a website, they'd often be phoning around all the freelancers. Shit, we've got a project. Are you available? <laughs> There's <laughs> still some of that today. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so what we wanted was to build a very dedicated agency for doing large digital projects mm. for media companies. But all the time we were coming up against this thing of clients were having to choose between a relatively small provider, a specialist, or a large consultancy. And so what we wanted to do was, you know, I, I set it out in a blog post as the challenge of, right, the elephants are entering this market. What yeah. are we going to do about it? And my proposition was that we need to go large. And I started talking to this about some of the other agencies that could have been seen as competitors, but I saw as collaborators. And we saw the opportunity to create something a bit larger. So it took a long time, lots of discussion, lots of negotiations, but gradually we merged together four different agencies and that created a sudden boost in growth. But then suddenly I had a number of co-founders. You know, we yeah. were all doing this together. It was um, a band of equals. And some of those were more businessy type people, but some of them, because of the history of you know the agencies that were being merged, they were the developers or a designer or, you know, that sort of thing that were being brought together now as the owners. So this new entity had effectively 10 owners and then had to navigate with that future. And the way that it was agreed was that if three of us would essentially run the group and the others would be owners and would attend an annual owner's retreat and so on and I would be kept informed but would leave the running of the business to the more 
to the board, basically, on a day-to-day basis or month-to-month basis. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So, so is that how the motivations shifted from building and running a great business to a sale being on the cards? Was it simply a case of you've got 10 decision makers and I guess one at a time they or, or several at once, people started looking at the future and looking at the options? Is, is that yeah. how it happened? Not quite. <laughs> that's, that's how you might hope would happen. Let me briefly go off track, Matt, and we'll come back. I mean, essentially, there's a few different types of exit from an agency, but two of those are to do with selling it. One of them could be just dying yeah. <laughs> or no longer being around in some way to run the agency. Another one could be retiring and just letting someone else run it and you take the money. But the main ones are, are selling your agency. And there's two types of agency sale. What I refer to as selling up, which is you decide to sell up because you can see that doing a deal would get a great deal for you because you would crystallize the rewards that are due to you from the investment in the agency over a long period of time, the investment of time, money, love, energy, etc. And that would crystallize that reward for you. But it would also set the agency on a course to the next level. And that's the key to selling up. It's it's that sets you up for a big reward in the next level, and it sets the agency up for the next level. And it's what is best for both the agency and for the owners. And that's the idea. What most people tend to do is selling out. And they come to a point where they just want out of the agency, and they just want to sell to get out. Now, that can come about because founders get tired. It's like you know the seven-year itch in relationships. They've been doing this for a while. They're exhausted, they're fed up, the daily routine, being responsible for people, being responsible for the money, the payroll, everything else that's going through their mind all the time. They just want an easy night's sleep, less worry, and they see the idea that they could take a year out, travel around the world, et cetera, as being great. And they can't really think about what might be beyond that, but they'll have some cash and they'll figure it out. The trouble with the selling out route is that it's not a strategic approach. It's a reactionary approach. It's very much a, you know, just responding to something rather than creating a plan and heading towards something. So you don't get the best price, the best valuation for your agency. And you don't necessarily set the agency up to the next thing because you just sell to the first person who comes along with enough money. And so what tends to happen when a founder sells out with their agency is that the agency goes to some other organization where there isn't really a great cultural fit, there isn't really a great strategic yeah. fit, but they just wanted to get some more bodies. You know, So maybe it's one of these big consultancies that they have trouble hiring lots of creative and digital people, but they can buy a company that's managed to hire them, yes. and then they hope they can grip onto them. And there's that kind of approach, the acquihire approach mm-hmm. to selling out. There's also the, you know, the agency that thinks, oh, that agency's got this cool technology or this approach or this client list that we want. Let's buy that in, scrap their brand name, sack their staff, and we've got this thing, you know, and this track record, these creds and so on. And so there's, you know, the buyers have got different motivations other than by combining, we've got this great future. And the founders often end up then with some sort of, some form of regret later on that they think, oh, what could I have built and so on, that it's you know, just tempted by the cash or 
too stressed or whatever it is. You know, sometimes one agency I saw because of founder rows, two founders had fallen out. The only way to resolve it was sell the agency, and that you know set the course. So selling out is those as well. So yeah. <laughs> So thinking about it in those terms and going back to your story then, was was this uh, selling up or was it selling out? It was selling out. And this yeah. is why I regard it as a failure. And it, not on my part, because I, you know, as one of the the few that were sort of, you know, the board and steering the business and, and so on, we had a strategy and a plan and we were really investing for growth. Yeah. We'd built this amazing client list. We were, you know, we'd built, for example, the equivalent of iPlayer for MTV and, you know, that sort of project we were doing. These were sizable projects, you know, global projects. And we'd really started building a name for ourselves. And we were beating these global consultancies and we were making good money. But for other owners who weren't so used to a business mindset, suddenly the responsibility of the size that the salary bill had got to and for anyone who's run an agency and, you know, whether you've got 10, 20, 30, whatever staff, and you, you know, that's something that's on your mind is every month, what's the salary bill? And, you know, how's the cash flow? How many months have we got? And so on. Absolutely. Um, if, you, if you talk to any vaguely stressed agency owner, which is any agency owner, it's the salary yeah. bill comes up within seconds yeah. all the time. It's I'm responsible for, you know, yeah. these salaries and these mortgages, isn't it? Exactly. Um, so now imagine the salary bill for 170 people every month. No, I can't. <laughs> and seeing that that's on the management reports, that's you know coming out of the bank accounts, et cetera, et cetera, it weighs very heavily on some. But I always just try and get people to forget the zeros. We're just looking. All we care about is the ratios. Don't think yeah. about the size of the number. Think about staff costs as a percentage of turnover and think about... It's what we're spending on our offices as a percentage of turnover. Don't look at the number we're spending on our offices. Yes, yeah. Because you're comparing that to your experience as a freelancer or you know, whatever. And, and you've just got to think ratios all the time. And that's how you scale a business. But yeah, so we had a strategy. We'd got this all agreed through all the owners and throughout the business. And everyone was you know, pretty fired up about it because business was good. The culture was fantastic. We had a very high staff satisfaction scores. Yeah. We were winning great place to work awards and all sorts of things like that. But suddenly, <laughs> it was between, I think it was Christmas and New Year one, one year, I just got in the kind of the owner's chat a message from one owner said, oh, I've been chatting to one of my mates over Christmas. And he said, if we sold, we can get X many tens oh. of millions <laughs> for this business. Now, imagine that divided by the 10 of us. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it's not quite how it works. And, you know, getting very excited about it. And so, you know, after Christmas, you know, after New Year holidays, it was, well, look, you know, the way that, you know, business sales work is okay. At the moment, we've got a strategy and we've all agreed we're going for growth and we're investing in this. So, therefore, what that means is we've reduced our profitability in this year because we're spending on opening up new offices, I'm recruiting staff ahead of the curve. We've pumped money into marketing. We've hired a you know ex- an experienced you know director of marketing, and you know you do all these things for the big growth thing, and then you wait for it to pay off to turn into revenue, and then you bed that in, and then you sell if you really don't want to sell it when you've taken on the costs and not. Yeah, you don't just yes. take the costs and then decide <laughs> yeah. to sell. 
But this figure had been rattling around heads over the holiday period. You know, so we, I got everyone to fly in. We have, you know, real, most of our retreats were quite nice, but this was not a glamorous retreat for the reasons of time. It was a Heathrow hotel meeting room <laughs> that everyone could fly in. All the of, right? yeah. yeah, all the owners could <laughs> fly into. And me and the other two key board members were trying to make the case for, look, this is where we're going. This is the trajectory. Yeah. This is what's going on. This is what this could be worth. And at the same time, had some of the non-business owners going, yeah, but you're not promising us a check tomorrow for X million euros, are you? Yeah. Like, well, no, because nobody can make that promise. Even this business, you know, you know, M&A consultant who's whispering in your ear cannot make that promise. And also, if, if you're going to sell a company, what you do is you plan at least two years in advance to do it. Yeah. Because when you make the decision that, okay, our goal now is to sell and we're going to do a transaction in a year, you know, the transaction process will probably take about a year. So you need a year to prepare for that. And in that year, you need to recruit and set up parallel management teams. You need one management team that keeps running the business so that it stays being worth what it's worth yes. now. Yeah and continues on an upwards trajectory. And then you need another management team that handles the transaction because that is immensely time-consuming and so much discussion and meetings and so many documents and so many tasks to follow through on uh, that it takes you know somebody's full time. That's, that's really interesting. So obviously the, the, the agency I sold, this isn't about that, but just as a uh, comparison was, significantly smaller you know a, a, you know a tenth of that and you know the leadership team at that point was or the senior leadership team was me and uh, yes as soon as we got into that process the 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 day-to-day -day running stopped it was you know and i was very transparent with the team and said you know this is what's going to happen this is what i'm focused on and thankfully they held held it Altogether, very capable group, and luckily we were small enough, and there was enough urgency that everything happened very quickly. But had there been that year, there was no way for for one person. So to get into an organisation, you know, ten, twelve times the size, I can really see that. That's really interesting. I've not heard of it explained in that way. That kind of parallel management structure before. Yeah, it's really vital. Because it is, as you say, so time consuming and you have to leave aside normal work. And what that means is that you leave aside, you know, getting new clients, managing your existing clients, building up, you know, the communication, doing all the work that leaders need to do, which is about ensuring there's a solid culture and great communications, making sure the strategy is clear and so on. And all this stuff needs constant touches. You can never just say, right, we've done the strategy now. That's it. Yes. I've told everyone it once. That's it. We're off to the pub. So um, which of those teams did you end up on? Were you, were you on the, the sale or were you on the, the status quo? Well, we didn't get to do my, <laughs> because the, what, you know, the, what my view was and experience is that you do need those two years and you need those two teams. And in the two years, you have one year preparing for the sale and one year doing the transaction. Yeah. And in that year preparing the sale, you, 
you basically also you're seeking to maximize your EBITDA, your you know yeah. bottom bottom line profit, which is what a lot of the calculations get based on. And so you are deciding for a year that we are not going to open in, invest in opening new offices. Yeah. We're not going to hire ahead of the curve. We're not going to do all these things that the reward comes later on. We are going to focus on milking the profit to the bottom line so that we can get them extract the maximum value in the transaction. You also in that year have to focus on getting everything ready for due diligence. You have to make sure that every single client contract is absolutely perfectly in order, that it's perfectly filed and labeled and documented. Every single staff contract of 170 people is absolutely in order, absolutely perfectly filed, absolutely properly labeled and so on. Every you can see me laughing. I'm saying nothing at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every single flashbacks. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of founders will be going, oh my God, yeah. the jitters. Yeah. But yeah, every single freelancer contract. What about all your SaaS contracts so that when you eventually open the deal room, which is what happens as part of a transaction, you have all of this there for the buyer to come and inspect. Some of it digitally, but it's you know effectively there's a deal room where the information stays in there, and they can send their team to come and uh, do the due diligence in your offices. And everything needs to be there, and everything needs to be perfect, you know. And anything that's not quite right takes a chunk off the valuation. They say, ah, oh, well, because there's a liability, because there's not enough clarity around, you know, these staff contracts in this particular scenario, you know, you've got nothing in your staff contracts about IP, for example. Yeah. Therefore, we're lopping this off <laughs> the, the valuation. And, you know, it adds all sorts of complications like that. So it takes a year for you basically to get ready to be perfect. And, and this is how it all happened absolutely to plan and you had your full year <laughs> to get everything right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So essentially the, the discussions with business partners were quite intense, quite frustrating. My whole thing was we've built a company that's all around the culture. And that was the, the main thing for our company, a really open, transparent, collaborative culture. And I, I know a lot of people say that, but this culture was extraordinarily transparent. <laughs> you know, the staff knew the financials in and out. I published my salary, things like that. You know, we were as open as you possibly could be. The only thing we did was we didn't, on behalf of the company, disclose other people's salaries, but they could disclose them if they chose to, yeah. I think. And so, you know, so very, very transparent. Suddenly there was this proposal, let's be super clandestine, super, super secret, and let's sell everybody. <laughs> and the key is that an agency is only a group of people choosing to work together towards a common goal in a common way. That's all it is. Those people can leave at any time. And that's where the IP is most of the time. That's where the client relationships are and so on. So an agency, really, all you're selling is a group of people who are currently choosing to work together. So you've got to approach that from an agency M&A perspective very sensitively. And I always believe it's best done from a position of openness, transparency, collaboration. Yeah. 
Whereas part of that two-year process, we would set up at the beginning, you know, right, you know, here's the next two-year plan the owners have announced. Here's the strategy. And a key part of that is that in two years, we want to be seeking a buyer for this business. And you'd then hold workshops about, right, what do we want in a new home for where this agency would be? And yeah. uh, you would bring people with you. And that then provides added value to the buyer and therefore improves your multiple because their big fear is, hang on, what if everybody leaves within a month of me buying this? And you can show, look, we've been doing this this many years of workshop. Nothing's a secret to them. There's not going to be some horrible, scary day one. Let's do this as a kind of an on-ramp and an off-ramp and we gradually, you know, you join and then we leave and etc. So essentially what I put forward was that as, and at that point I was joint CEO because it got fairly large. There were three of us doing that at that point because we split the role into different things, you know, ambassador or running internally. Other places might have had CEO, COO and C something else. But as part of our kind of collaborative collective culture, we we did those bits and I had a, a role within that. Also part of the juggling 10 owners thing. But essentially, so there were uh, three of us who were, you know, running the business as kind of the office of the, the CEO and said, look, you know, I cannot be part of doing a transaction in this way. It's irresponsible for the staff. Yeah. It's not going to find the next step up for the agency. And it's not going to get the best valuation for all of us. So if we're going to do this thing of literally, and by the time we'd had this meeting in Heathrow, let me be clear that three of the co-founders or the co-owners had actually quietly put together a prospectus and sent it out through this mate who did business M&A, had sent it out signed by the board, (laughs) which I had never seen and I was on the board and, you know, other board members hadn't seen and they had said, you know, officially signed by the board, blah, 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 and sent that out. And it's gone out to 100 prospective buyers from this M&A company. And at the same time, they'd signed the deal with the M&A consultancy. And the, the prospectus contained absolute bullshit. So one of the things in the prospectus that was sent out was that we had 0% staff turnover. And that is Clearly a lie. <laughs> no agency of 170 people across nine countries has 0% staff turnover. And any buyer is going to smell bullshit. And, you know, then there's a liability there. You know, there is a lie in this official prospectus that's gone out. And so I basically realized, okay, we've, we've got to part ways. And so what's the way of exiting me and two of the other co-founders wanted to exit ahead of the transaction too. Mm. And so we discussed and negotiated and that's the thing. And they thought they were, hey, we're getting great. We're going to own the whole thing. And then we can take it to a transaction. And then they did all of the classic things that I'd warned about. They put all their focus on doing the deal. The deal took much longer than expected. They, you know, the bullshitty prospectus scared off all of the bigger buyers and they eventually ended up more than two years later, I think, actually finally doing the deal. And the deal was not for as nearly as much as they had been promised. It was for a lower valuation than we... The deal they'd been promised was for a way higher valuation than we could have got at the time. The deal they got was for a way lower valuation than we should have got um, for that. So it was an utter failure. It was a car crash of a transaction. And I was very glad to be quite some distance away from it. 
Because as an entrepreneurial type, I like to be focusing on the building and the what's next. Seeing something kind of smashed up a bit is really not where I want to be. So that short period from some of the other owners expressing this interest and then you, I suppose, you know, how clean was your out at that point, you know, at that, that couple of months where you largely washed your hands? Yeah. It's it was difficult generally to get out of a business. Yeah. Um, it was pretty clean in a messy way. <laughs> so, <laughs> what I mean. And yeah, I mean, it was one of those things of essentially me saying, look, there's a number of lines that have been crossed here that are absolutely fundamental lines for me about how business parts should behave with each other. This is not on. Also, the breach, you know, just the complete breach of the cult, the entire culture of the agency and the strategies we'd all sign off. And I just can't proceed. So either we've got to agree to a reset and then we'll have a period of dialogue and reconciliation and getting back on track, or I've got to resign. And so this is the choice moment. I'm going to, you know, I can resign. You can buy me out. I'll exit. And then, you know, you move forward with that. And to which their response was, well, you're fired anyway. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. Really grown up way. We all go under so, pressure. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to go the exit and the legalese. Route. Right. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, then gradually pieced it together. And presumably yeah. they all thought they were getting, a, or, or some of them probably thought they were getting a great bargain by you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's they thought they were, you know, God, we're going to sell for tens and tens of millions yeah. of euros. Yeah, it's amazing. Walking away from this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Exactly. So that must have um, left you. That must have left you with some very strange feelings at that point. Yes, yeah, um, yeah, I think yeah, leaving. Absolutely. You know, you know, selling an interest in a business and walking away from business is really hard when you 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 know been there since the beginning and and you know been one of the founders and grown it, but then to leave under that kind of not leave under a cloud because it was not any you know judgment there, but to leave with you know bad feelings around it. That yeah, must have been yeah. hard. Yeah, it was. And it was terribly sad because the progress that we were making, the state that the business was in, mm. the future for it was all fantastic. And it felt that just kind of our legs were cut from under us as we were, you know, really going great guns. I I probably got a really messy metaphor there, but <laughs> you, you get the idea. <laughs> and so, yes, there was a lot that I had to think about. So I took some time out, first of all, just to, yeah. you know, what I like to do is, you know, the same after that, you know, financial crash in 2008, nine, is I like to take a bit of time out, think, well, what can I learn from that? What do I learn about me? What do I learn about others? What do I learn about the way I want to run a business? How do I digest that? And then what can I turn that into? Um, and so I took that time out to think about think about that approach. In the meantime, I was getting a lot of emails from former staff going, it's a nightmare here. What are you going to start next? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I often, I've, I've asked others when they've kind of, they've exited and they've done a deal and they've got a bit of money. And, and I've asked people, you know, you know, was there a, a celebratory purchase? And lots of people have lots of silly things to go out and do. But you, I guess you didn't leave with a feeling of celebration at all from it. No, there definitely wasn't a feeling of celebration. There was a feeling of relief to some degree because there'd been this intense period of trying to negotiate the right approach and trying to mitigate the impacts of, you know, some of the impacts of the wrong approach and trying to, 
you know, educate as well within it that were intensely frustrated. Real stress, there's a, you know, tension there. And so then there's a release from that and a lot of relief. And it felt quite lightened. And, you know, even then, although I'm someone who likes running businesses, likes managing people, and I loved being part of running, you know, and it was a team of us running, but I loved being part of running such a large organization. I really enjoyed that. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. But even with that, there is always that sense of the responsibility and that weighs hard on any leader's shoulders. And so having those responsibilities suddenly lifted from me when I wasn't expecting, and then suddenly, uh, you know, within three months, it's a case of, all right, I don't have to actually do any of that anymore. Okay, right. That makes life easier. So, but so you must have had like no time to prepare like yourself mentally for that. I know. You know, I've, I've spoken before, I think selling a business can be quite traumatic in, in many ways. And, and, to come out amongst that bad feeling and drama. How long did it take you to, you said you sort of take time to reflect. How long did it take you to kind of go, actually, I know how to now turn this into something useful for other people? Hmm. Well, those are two, there's a few different things in there. So I figured out how to turn it, how, you know, what to learn and how to turn it into something useful relatively quickly, sort of within a few months kind of thing. And then, but the other element of that is how long did it take me to process and to deal with it all? And I probably still am to some degree because I still regularly see staff, you know, former staff members posting on LinkedIn about, you know, and there was this real thing afterwards, after they'd done the transaction, the working culture was very different. A lot of people left and in some cases entire country offices <laughs> departed and things it was just not what had been promised and set up and it was communicated so badly and so i see these people going you know they've scattered to, to all the four winds and together they were such an amazing team and we we had such a great time mm-hmm. and built great things for clients that there is always that, you know, I see these little notes of sadness from time to time. And sadness from, you know, a what could have been point of view, I think is, is the best way to put it. I, you know, when you see the potential and then the potential can't be realized, it's, it's frustrating. It's sad. And I think that'll take me even longer to get over. I think that just that waste of potential. Yeah. And that's the odd thing about this in that I don't really care about the money, you know, if we'd stayed running it, we could have made even more money. I literally don't care about that. I don't even think about it, except now in this interview, you know, that it's been talked about. All I ever think about is that wasted potential. And that's the bit that. It is a cliche, isn't it, about our businesses being our babies, but the, the attachment and even beyond that, it's that they become part of us so much as well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, Difficult. I'm sure everyone who sells to someone else probably looks at the business, you know, in that in how it becomes, thinking that's not how I would have done it. But to see mm. things work out very poorly for other people involved is really hard, isn't it? Yeah. So, so now you've taken a lot of the lessons, both from I guess both from building out the agency or building agencies and running those and also everything that happened kind of on the way out and you know you you built this great thing through convivio so how's that informed how you help other people essentially 
all of my experiences have kind of built up to, to what I'm doing now, because what I've seen so many times first with myself in my first agency, where, you know, it took me a long time to learn how to run a business at all. And I had to learn everything from scratch. And it was a painful, messy experience where it's like, oh, so that's not the way you manage cash flow. Oh, right. Okay. I'll, I'll learn a lesson about that for next time. Oh, so I do need to chase people to pay their invoices. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. And oh, I'm charging way too little. So I'm not actually yeah. making any money on my hourly rate. Okay. Right. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. You know, you learn the lessons the really hard way. And then as I built that up, I began to be asked to be mentored you know, to other agency owners and so on. And I would do that. And I would see them doing all the stupid things that I had done. I'm going, all right, so they're learning the hard way too. Okay, well, with a, being a bit of a mentor, I can help a bit with that. Then building the next agency and so on. And you begin to see that all the time, there are all these people who are great practitioners. They're great designers, great developers, great PR people, mm-hmm. great you know video editors, great you know, marketers, or whatever it is that the agency does. They're great at that. But suddenly they've ended up running a business and they've never run a business before. And then with the larger agency, finding out that there were business owners, business partners around the table who this was their first business. And some of them were absolutely terrified of the business stuff, you know, the size of the salary bill and how to manage the finances and things like that. And so this desperation sort of just take the money and get out and things like that. And so, so many of the adverse events and poor decisions in agencies were being driven by inexperience, fear, reactiveness, rather than knowledge, strategic thinking, and best outcomes. And so I began to think about, well, what can I do? You know, I can mentor a couple of agencies, but I can then help a couple. But I've got a lot of here that I've learned the hard way that would be really quite useful to pass on. And maybe there's even one or two lessons I didn't have to learn the hard way. Who knows? Most of it's come about quite a hard way. And so, you know, I was writing books, business books and so on. But then after, you know, evolving it for a number of years, came across a year ago, this idea that I really wanted to do, which was that what I found people really helps people is helping them set up and run a good advisory board, mm. which doesn't have to be lots of external people. It doesn't have to be in wood-paneled rooms. It can just be the existing business owners, directors, whatever, choosing to get together in a different place at a different time, which is a you know, place that they think of as the top of the hill, place that they can go to and do the higher altitude thinking. And they switch off their phones and emails, and they don't talk about the pipeline and the you know, day-to-day stuff. They talk about what's going to be happening in the market in you know, a year, two years, three years' time. They talk about potential risks, potential opportunities. They talk about what the strategy for the business is, and they really think and they probe and they workshop how to make this the best business. There's and a so real by- power to that, isn't there? Mm. Just having, and I think physical space is an important part of it, but that mindset change because I think agency businesses in particular, there's always a fire. There's always a fire to distract you somewhere, isn't there? So yeah. having anything that's going to deliberately take you all out of that setting, hopefully, but certainly mm-hmm. that mindset and, and, and think to a longer horizon, I think there's a huge power in that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so what I do is I try and get people to have that rhythm because you need that regular discipline of taking yourself away to a place where you can think in depth and, you know, do the deep work of actually owning and directing and being CEO of an agency rather than being the practitioner or doing agency ops and all these kind of lower down levels of hats that people get sucked into because it's what their background is, but it's also where the noise is. Whereas there's no noise up at director level because all that work is to come to fruit in a year, two years, three years time. So what I figured out is what I want to do is try and help them wear those top three levels of hats, properly be the owner, which no agency owners tend to do until it comes time to sell up or sell out. They don't think of the business from the perspective of an owner until it's time to sell. Then to properly be a director, and they don't really do that. They might give themselves the title and some colleagues the title, but they get together and talk about the day-to-day. They talk about what's the pipeline next month? What were the results last month? And that's it. They don't talk about the big strategic issues and think about things. And then properly be the CEO. And most, not most, a lot of agency founders tend to fall into, even when they're doing the CEO work, it's more admin. It's signing off the accounts and dealing with the accountant, doing a bit of people management stuff, but not doing the bigger strategic planning, not doing the culture development and the leadership and so on. I often ask people when when they say they're spending time, you know, I'm spending more time working on the business, not in the business. <laughs> I ask them what they mean by that. And often it is, it's, it's admin. Yeah, and yeah, then, exactly. You know, you try to explain to them, that's just working in a different department of the business than, than your normal yeah. one. No, it's very true. Yeah. So essentially what I did, you know, the approach I'm now taking to try and help with that more broadly is I've set myself up as Essentially, you know, what Convivio does is Convivio is developing the, the way for agencies to run at those top levels so that there is a framework, there's a playbook for CEOs of this is how you, you know, do an annual owner's retreat. This is how you, you know, set up a system of one ones within the organization. This is how you do, you know, this, that, you know, this is how you think about positioning, this is how you think, you know, all the elements through there in a playbook and various workshops and so on. But then also because when I found, even when I got them to take the time for the board meetings, they didn't really know what to talk about. So what I ended up, what I've ended up doing is developing essentially myself as a virtual non-exec for agencies, where they essentially become members of my non-exec program, and each month I send them, you know, these are the things to discuss at your board meeting and guide them through those discussions as a board and through those strategic decisions. So that's what I'm the approach I'm taking now to try and impact more and more agencies across a broader spectrum by making it really affordable because it's spread across a number of agencies to have that sort of non-exec type figure that's just pushing you up to the top of the hill and saying, yeah. what about this? What about that? Have you thought? As I suspected we would when we started talking, we've gone massively over time. <laughs> I just have a feeling that might be how it went. So I will I will just try to wrap it up. I would wrap up by asking with regards to your own sale and exit, you know, what you would do differently. But I think, you know, you've shared, well, you would have done your damnedest to steer it away from that, which... Except it's still a valuable question, Matt. I think we should still dig it because there's a lot I should have done differently. But it it stems from before the subject of a potential sale came up. What I should have been so much that I could have and should have done differently. And it's all really in the year or two or more prior to the issue of 
the sale even coming up. Because clearly I and my fellow owners who were, you know, the day-to-day running of the business, we hadn't appreciated and we hadn't led the other owners into a discussion of what would it take to make you want to sell? You know, because it hadn't even been a discussion. We hadn't considered it. We were all in it for the long term and talking about building the business we wanted to work in for a long time. You know, the strategy document we'd all signed off on just about two months previously or less, literally had the words in that we're building the business we want to work in for years to come and be proud of. And so from that, I clearly had not done enough prodding because someone external was able to flip them like that with, here's a big check. (laughs) And so therefore, my responsibility as a leader, as a board member, was to be poking and asking more questions about, you know, what circumstances would you switch and want to sell? And what about this? What do you see as your future? And so our owners' retreats needed to be structured very differently. And I do that now with the agency CEOs that are on, members of my virtual board program, I get them to run an annual owner's retreat in a very structured way to try and tease out these potential differences, mm-hmm. these potential threats just lurking in the water of differences of outcome and expectation and so on. And to then get the other owners to commit on a th- rolling three-year cycle for, right, we're not going to sell next year and the year after, but we might consider it in the year after that. Essentially, what you're saying is, in the next year, we're not going to have to start preparing for a sale. Yeah. We are focused on this. Basically, I call it an owner's mandate. And it's a document that the owners get together for a one or two day retreat once a year, have big guided discussions and output this document to the board and the CEO to say, this is how we want you to run the company for the next year and some guidance on the year or two beyond that. Because that then enables more sensible strategic decision making. So that was a key learning around that. The other thing was really about more education. So you kind of think that when people end up owning a business, that they understand running a business. And I've always made this assumption with each new band of owners that, right, well, these these lot will be smart. (laughs) These lot will have (laughs) understand what running a business is and all the different elements of it. And I keep finding out that actually all of us really, to some extent, are making it up as we go along. So it's far better to have a more structured education in the organization right up to the owner's level. So therefore, as the CEO, you've got a responsibility to not just run training programs for the staff, but you should be running a training program for the owners as well. So part of that training program would be, right, at some point in the next you know, gazillion years, we will need to exit this agency somehow because we will die or we will yes. get ill or we will you know, have sudden life changes or whatever, and we will need to somehow exit. So we need to think about what are the potential routes. So the education is on what are the potential ways of exiting? What uh, do they mean? This fact of if there's a trade sale, how a trade sale happens, what is due diligence? What's an earn out, which was news to a lot of them. <laughs> you know, yes. I was trying to explain. <laughs> that can come just, as a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to explain, you're not just going to get a big check and walk away to the beach from then on. You'll have two or three years of paying that back. And in that two or three years, you could have made the same money and still own the business. And so uh, there needs to be an education program, even up at the owner's level. And I think that's a, a key learning from that too. 
So my very final question, and then I'm going to uh, let you get back on with your day. So do you think you're now in the knowledge industry forever, or would you ever consider an agency again? Oh, I get the agency itch all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But I've got to be focused. You know, I love running agencies, and I've got the odd thing now that I find myself not running an agency that talks about running agencies. So I've run agencies for years. I mean, it's over... 20 years now, well over 20 years. And I've, you know, I really love the agency business model. But now it's effectively what I run is I'm trying to productize what I do in order that as many agencies as possible can access it. So my motivation now is let's save the stress of as many agency owners as possible. Let's help them fall in love with running their agency again and get them to end up selling up rather than selling out. So therefore, I need to productize it because I can't be everywhere all at once and I'm expensive. So the ones that could hire me are just the big, you know, already rich ones. And I want to access people earlier on when they're kind of, you know, 10 people or 15 people, something like that. So therefore it's a product business, which is a bit of a surprise to me. And so I've had to figure out a whole new business model. (laughs) More learning BN. Fascinating. But yeah, every now and then I get emails from people who used to work for me or in fact, even including former clients saying, Look, I don't suppose you'll be running anything soon, considering hiring. I'd love to work with you again. It's a great honor. But I just, some of the talent that comes through, and I think, God, I could imagine an agency with this person and that person, this person, that person. You know, like, for example, I've just had a brilliant coincidence of a number of people getting in touch from all across the board, where if you were going to create an agency that focused on data and AI and complex digital projects for large organizations, this would be the dream team. And I'm having to go, I must stay focused. I must stay focused. I must not start another agency. You you still haven't said no, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a nice way to end it. Thank you so much for your time and for speaking so candidly about your experience. I think a lot of people are going to find it absolutely fascinating to listening to the journeys you went through and some of the wager facings and thanks for having me on i've never talked about any of this publicly matt so this is a a world exclusive (laughs) thanks for that steve fascinating stuff for sure and i'm sure that's got a few people out there thinking you can find links to more about steve and his coaching and board service convivio in the show notes at howtosellanagency.com That's also the place to find other episodes in the series together with links to what I do as a mentor and agency advisor or to contact me about anything to do with the show. I am currently looking for more guests to line up for future episodes. If you know someone you think has an interesting story about the agency they sold, please find me through the website or LinkedIn and let me know and I will do my best to get them on in the future. Thanks again for listening. I hope you will join me next time on how to sell an agency.